My name is Nick. And I'm Damien. You're listening to the EQIQ Podcast. This is where the independent scientist and biotech entrepreneur come to find new paths to success. Join us as we discuss strategies to launch your vision, grow your team's potential, and uncover hacks to push your career well beyond what you thought possible. And we're back again. I'm Damien. Hola. And I'm Nick. And our producer back in the background, keeping us in check, Pablo. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the EQIQ podcast. Uh, thank you so very much for joining us and bearing with us because we all know that you guys are super busy and trying to get things going, especially now things are starting to open back up and hopefully we'll start hiring more people. Right. Yeah, you know, I hesitate to say that you know there are the hiring cycles, but for some reason, you know, everyone kind of settles in, and around this time is when everyone starts to think that maybe they want to level up, maybe they're looking for a new job, or on the other side, maybe it's time to bring on some more help. Yeah, I think that's kind of natural, especially when we think about academic settings, in particularly the scholastic calendar. And I think the challenge is knowing what cycles those are and what types of talents, because I mean, students are getting ready to graduate and within the next couple of months. And so a lot of them are scrambling, looking for jobs, not just new recent grads, but like it's just a general cycle. I think people coming out of the winter. I think it's just, you know, the grass is getting green, the snow's starting to melt, everyone's starting to get ready to uh, just go out and move a little. And that includes, you know, the career. And so this is a really tempting time for everyone that's that's actually in charge of a lab or in charge of a project to look out and to try and seek out some of that extra help. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, we'll call them factors, uh, that we can evaluate in order to, to see if, if your lab is actually ready to bring on someone. You're usually financially motivated, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, not always. Uh, but one of the things that we tend to have to come in and, and correct sometimes are mishaps. It's not necessarily that they're bad at, you know, doing science or, you know, unintelligent. It's just that they don't fit the position or they're not doing the things that you need them to do or they don't do them very well, at least. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's kind of like the whole theme of today is how do you make sure that you got the right person and avoid some of those mishires or challenges? Some basic stats here is like more than half of the bad hires are due to the hiring process or bad recruitments, poor interviewing skills. And one thing that makes things much more challenging is what happens when you get a mishire. Those people cost two, three, four times the salary of an individual, according to Harvard Business Review. And in loss in productivity, loss in uh, wages, loss in just overall team morale. And those can be pretty right. expensive. <laughs> losing losing the money is one thing, but I think it's, it's really losing the time that hurts a little bit more because that's progress on your projects. That's growth of your lab or growth of your company. Uh, 
just growth of your pro- of your whole program in general. So I think one of the first things that we should really get into is, is how are we identifying what a mishire looks like and maybe more importantly, what that mishire feels like, because that's really going to be the indication that's going to tell us that there's something wrong. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of uh, one of our clients a while back ago was kind of going a little bit of against our recommendations but one of the things that came out of it was that he essentially created a mishire. And we saw some of the telltale signs early on. And he was just using old, outdated metrics of what a good candidate was. And the challenge is that person recruited this person and ended up eventually had to like let the person go because they just could not perform. So we want to be able to talk a little bit more about some of those mishires and how to avoid them, those kind of red flags. Yeah, and I think red flag number one, and this is going to be very ambiguous, but it's important to just identify it, is that it just doesn't feel right. This can manifest itself in you feeling annoyed that you have to deal with this person, uh, you feeling like you need to go back and do their work again, (laughs) feeling like you need to go and ask them to do the same thing again you can see that the theme Mm -hmm. is that these are very tedious things that are taking away from your own work, which is thinking about the science and how you're going to move the whole program forward versus how you're going to complete an experiment or complete some kind of report. Beautiful. And I think that's part of what we want to talk about a little bit more and dive into some of these subjective feelings or metrics that we talk about. It feels bad. What does that mean practically? And we're in this EQ development, this emotional quotient is kind of understanding what those gut reactions are. But I think most of us, we tend to say, I have a bad feeling about this candidate. But what does that mean? Does it mean that like you're annoyed how they speak? You're annoyed how they're explaining their work? You're annoyed about how they smell? I think we have to be able to like put it into context. And I think, yeah, I mean, these matter, right? We kind of like have to think about it and our candidate and what this person would look like working with on a daily basis. The, the easiest place to look at, and especially for, you know, usually what when we enter a situation where it's very ambiguous and the client only knows that there's something wrong, mm-hmm. the first thing we're going to look at is that job description. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily what's written, but the job description as in what do you need this person to mm-hmm. do? And completely separate from the actual candidate that's there, or in this case, it's the employee that's Mm -hmm. there. We're going to look at how you need the different tasks to be completed and really actually what tasks you need Mm -hmm. to be completed. Then with that information, we'll start looking at what's actually being presented to you. And I think when we sit there and identify those key skills and key tasks, that helps us to create a sense of practical steps. But I want to go a little bit deeper, Nick, onto that, onto the emotional side of that. What does that mean as far as certain skills and tasks? And how does that feel in regards to this person working alongside with? If we're going to think about, Mm. say, somebody doing rudimentary tasks that we don't necessarily want to do or hire this person to do, Mm -hmm. that can kind of become annoying. Like, I hired you to be able to take this off my plate and make my life easier. And so that's one of the questions I always ask a client is, 
is this person making your life easier? And so they're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, how does that feel? What does that mean? Right. This reminds me of the classic situation that we're usually finding in these mishires, which is having a scientist that is very creative, very analytical, mm -hmm. that hasn't necessarily developed the skills to be more of an assistant, mm -hmm. right? And, and this is when we have these, these very small groups, you're thinking the foundational mm -hmm. group to the whole program, where everyone is wearing multiple hats. Mm -hmm. And it usually falls on these scientists to take on that assistant role. And they're not used to providing things that are givens to someone who's used to being an administrative assistant. So think options, think about presenting tasks before they're completed. Mm -hmm. That way we're not wasting time on redoing. Mm -hmm. There's definitely an element of uh, ownership mm -hmm. over certain things. You know, it's a different type of ownership because someone who is assisting the main decision maker, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be a CEO or a mm -hmm. PI, they should know that, you know, the options that they're going to provide, one of them will be taken or potentially none of them will mm -hmm. be taken. Someone who's feeling a little bit more possessive over this, who's not used to being in this situation might, you know, feel awkward mm -hmm. or might feel bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really, <laughs> they might take it very personally that you don't want any of their options. And I kind of want to like add to that, Nick, to kind of create a little bit more clarity in and around a Kennedy or a, a new employees their their ownership of it. I think we we want inherently people to own their position and take accountability for it. But I think that becomes subjective because when we're not clear as an employer is to what we want, we always have to kind of default back onto how we feel. And it's just you kind mm -hmm. of inherently know what it should look like, but how to give and deliver feedback on that. And so one of the things that we try to do in, say, the interview sessions is having them give examples of a subjective outcome. Like, give me an example of a time when you had to organize your laboratory. I mean, what does that mean to a candidate? Right. Does that mean uh, all of the reagents are alphabetized A to Z? Or does that mean that there's kind of a uh, <laughs> experimental flow to it? What does that mean? It can be completely different from one person to another. And those types of questions allows us to sit there and do a quick analysis on something. So I'll give you one example. In my old lab, what we used to do is for our technicians is have them organize their stock room. And it was kind of like a trial to see them how they right. organize it, because one technician would organize it differently from another. I remember we had one yeah. technician. She just piled all the boxes, all skyrocket up <laughs> high, looked like a pyramid. And I'm like, so right. tell me this. What were you thinking that made this seem logical for you? She goes, well, you told me to get everything in the room. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't want them to all fall down. And I'm like, OK. And right. then we had another technician. She organized it as and it wasn't in alphabetical order. It was just it looked like a little disarray. And I'm like, so tell me, how did you organize mm -hmm. it? There? She goes, well, this side is closer to the tissue culture hood. And so when you come in and you just reach for it, you don't have to go all the way back to the stock room. Right. And this side is closer to the benches. And so these are the most common things that are grabbed. And you could see that she basically thought of the experimental flow, the what I call mm -hmm. the laboratory feng shui, if you will. 
And see, these two had totally different subjective outlooks of what organization meant. And I think these types of questions, these types of tests, these types of strategies can help evaluate good key candidates from the subjective Mm -hmm. side. So a lot of the mishires are avoided at the interview stage before they're even hired, (laughs) which is, you know... If for, for the purposes of this conversation, that's not the vein that we want to go down. When we're talking about someone who's already been hired. So when we're talking about a mishire that's actually working for you at the time, you know, what are the elements that we're identifying to tell us that that is a mishire? Mm-hmm. If we go back to previous clients where we're thinking of, you know, like I described before, it's the scientist that's in an administrative assistant Mm -hmm. role, uh, which is the typical mishire situation that we find. We're seeing a lot of tasks that should and could be completed by one person or by that hire made more complicated and taking more time because they're essentially just acting as a middleman. Mm -hmm. And this middle person isn't actually executing any type of decisions because they're too concerned with how somebody else wants to get it done. There's that miscommunication of milestones Mm -hmm. and of how you want the job Mm -hmm. done. If we think of things as simple as making an inventory, you know, we've had some people get stuck on just how to put the columns together. And what we want is someone who automatically is in our head to just put the columns up the way that we think it's going to be. But that's obviously not the case. And what it takes is someone who will put a few things together check with you once, say, what is it that you like? What is it that you don't like? And then go back and complete the Mm -hmm. list. The mishire, which is what we usually see, is the person that is stuck. They're a deer in the headlights. They don't move anywhere. And they ask you, how do you want the first column? Okay, do the first column. Okay, now they come back. How do you want the second column? Then you tell them, they do the second column. Then they come back for the third column. Then the fourth, (laughs) fifth. And and (laughs) you can see how this is one of those I don't want to call it an easy task because it's it's not necessarily easy, but you know, they're trying to understand how you want things, but in the execution that's just not how it's going to work. And obviously this person's not going to be a good fit for the role of making this list yeah. for you. Just imagine yourself, you're this employee's boss and you're trying to get them to take care of an experiment or and or troubleshoot it. And if they keep coming back every 20 minutes, so what do I do next? So what do I do next? What do I do next? You're now making all of the decisions for them. What you inherently want is somebody to take ownership and troubleshoot through this process and maybe present some options to you. But it's really hard to kind of get at that in in an interview. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we always try to suggest in those interviews is create behavioral based interview questions, kind of like, give me an example where you had to troubleshoot a project. Give me an example where you were challenged with a subjective goal. And then how did you work through that? I think what we try to do, or at least what we see with our clients is that they just said, these are the skills we need you to do. These are the things that we can. Can you do it? And it's just a binary question. And the candidate's like, yes, I can do it. Of course, they're going to present themselves in the best scenario. But if we pull... (laughs) They're going to say yes. If we pull them and say, give me a specific example from your history, from your past, when you had to do Mm -hmm. this, they are actually using real world evidence, real world examples of where they had to troubleshoot this. This gives you much more 
more in-depth idea of this candidate. And this is where we try to say these things, behavioral-based questionnaires, allows you to eliminate a lot of these subjective types of outcomes for these right. uh, bad yeah. hires. So the red flag, you know, bringing it back to the, the current hire, the red flag is the things that we're going to find annoying. You know, and if you find yourself thinking negatively, whether that be, you know, some, it, it's hard to describe because it's a whole range. Mm-hmm. It's just a negative, whether it be about the work, whether it be the way they talk to you, whether it be the way they talk to the other people in your group. Um, it's those bad feelings that should strike you as, uh-oh, I have someone that's, that's not fitting in the role that I put mm-hmm. them in. But one of the other elements that really isn't spoken about, and I think plays to the the title of our podcast, which is EQIQ, is the bias that we have Mm -hmm. internally towards picking a a certain person to do something and and the reasons that surround that. Oh my gosh. We do have cognitive biases towards certain candidates. Going back to that original example of a client that had hired, he was hiring for certain pedigrees, academic pedigrees. Mm And he believed that every person from these types of academic institutions were going to be perfect in regards to how they would perform. But that's just one unit of measurement of metrics. And we won't even go into all the other metrics that doesn't mean anything when it comes to like gender, race or anything else. And so Mm -hmm. if we think about these cognitive biases, we'll have some visceral biases against things, the negative parts. And so we call them red flags, but we have to know where they come from. Particularly, do we have these biases from a previous person that we had worked with? Or what does that mean in regards to the work itself? What I always tell people is that we're going to bias. Most often, we are just human beings. What's most important is to understand what we're biasing toward. And so if we think about the position, one of the exercises we take our clients through is a bias towards an ideal candidate, an ideal avatar. Mm. So just imagine what an ideal candidate would look like and then feel like. Imagine a year down the line, this person is super trained, they're doing well. How does this person feel? Do you feel excited about working with this person? Do you feel... And then identify Mm -hmm. what are the attributes. Like, for example, I really like it when this person just thinks of all of the projects or they come to me with three or four different examples and then be able to present that. And so I don't have to think about all this stuff. And that is a good candidate. Mm -hmm. And I said, from that, we develop our actual job description from this. A candidate needs to be able to troubleshoot a project and experiment, come up with three different types of designs. And so now we are biasing toward the position itself, not around metrics or measurements that had nothing. I'll give you another Mm -hmm. example. We had a client who we presented three different candidates who did well. And he was like, I just don't really want to hire this person. I'm like, why? Well, she plans to have kids someday. I'm like, oh "Oh my God. Uh, All right. How did you know that she wanted kids? He was like, "Uh, well, I asked her, do you plan to uh, have kids? And I'm like, uh, Okay. First of all, you shouldn't be asking that because that's one, illegal, and two, it's completely immoral and has nothing to do with the position itself. However, I didn't place any judgment on him. This is just what he had thought. He thought in his past, people that have kids cannot work and perform. 
And so he was basing it on um, false pretenses and stuff. What I told mm-hmm. him is that he needs to focus on one of the things that actually do work out. What is this person should be doing? And the candidate we had presented actually had a really good background. She was really on top of a lot of things. She was excited about the project. She had a really good record. And so these are some of the things that just didn't matter. But I think if we think about these cognitive biases, it's better to focus on the things that we're going to bias towards the exact position itself rather than uh, attributes that have nothing to do with the position. Right. And one of the things you mentioned right at the very beginning there was you said one year down mm-hmm. the road, you know, and a lot of times we're putting these avatars together and what someone who is maybe not used to hiring uh, or is putting together their first team, they're focused on looking at those criteria that we've identified for the perfect avatar (laughs) and something that we really have to work on and that we're very good at identifying now because we've done it a few times is the transferable Mm. skills or we work with the abilities that the candidates have to show you how it actually does fit that perfect avatar that you've thought of you know i don't want to identify biases as bad Mm -hmm. good because the biases are something that you want Right. It is it is a an important factor mm-hmm. for you, whether that be uh, having someone who has the ability to detach themselves from their work and for you to mm-hmm. be, you know, pretty cutthroat with yes, do this. No, don't do that. Do a little work here. Stop work over here and focus everything mm-hmm. over there. You know, you want someone who is has the ability to, to move and be dynamic like that in a way for your projects. Yeah, it's good just to even say we're looking for somebody that is a go-getter, that likes to hustle and really enjoys a fast-paced environment. Those are all subjective. But to one candidate that goes, ooh, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to do that. To another candidate Mm -hmm. that's, wow, that sounds invigorating. Let's do that. Right, and to avoid those mishires, if we develop those biases down to a set of words that describes what it is you actually Mm -hmm. want instead of it being this, judgment feeling that you get towards someone, we can actually write that into the job description. And we can write that into the evaluations and the interview that you're doing and make sure that when you're interviewing new candidates, we're actually telling them what these expectations Mm -hmm. are, but also telling them that that is what you're going to be (laughs) expecting. (laughs) They kind of want to (laughs) know. Yeah. (laughs) If you want someone to do something, you kind of need to tell them they're not in your head. Obviously, they're not going to guess it. So that is probably one of the most important parts of avoiding a yeah. mishire. Oh, oh my gosh, thank you for saying that, Nick, because sometimes I get people that say, well, I don't want to scare them away. And I'm like, you're not scaring them away. You're being very forthright and honest. If you are actually troubleshooting and you want somebody to stay committed and excited for it, you say mm-hmm. you're going to be doing this experiment maybe a hundred times and it might feel right. it might feel challenging, but the moment you succeed, you it's that eureka feeling. And if some people they right. like that. And it's the first filter. Yeah. <laughs> I even myself, I had to learn a long time ago that, you know, this job description, we're not putting it out there just to attract people. We're putting it out there to filter out the people that actually mm-hmm. want to do the job that we want to do. It's a it yeah, these job descriptions are good, good filters to say what one person might find scary, another person finds exhilarating. And these are very subjective points. 
Like going back to that one client with that candidate, we described the position and in very clear terms in these are very fast paced projects. These are the things that you're you can be working on. You're going to have much more autonomy. Sometimes you're going to have a little bit longer hours than usual. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. The fact that she wanted a family had nothing <laughs> to do with the fact that she still says, I can do this. And that's that's what you want. You want someone that's going to look at that job description that for you might sound terrible, you know, but fortunately, you're not the one that's going to be doing the job. You're just hiring for that position on your mm-hmm. team. And you're looking for someone who's going to love doing that stuff. And that's the whole point. Mm. We want to find people that are going to love doing their job, not like, yep. love, and that see all the tasks that you're putting out there, see themselves doing it, seeing themselves excel mm-hmm. at it, and seeing themselves exceeding your expectations when it comes to those yeah, things. Yeah, I see myself in this position. Oh, love right. those types of candidates. You'll be able to avoid all the ones <laughs> that are like, nope, I do not see myself in that. <laughs> <laughs> so take home for identifying the mishire is what? One, we want to make sure that we screen out those that do not resonate with certain positions and certain key tasks that are, how should I say, challenging to them that they don't see themselves being able to do. Those that see it and say, oh, I can be able to do this. Two, to be able to articulate that in a way that allows them to say, I see myself doing it because I have a past or a history Mm -hmm. that exactly is kind of like this. And so more of this behavioral-based questionnaire. And then third is if you're going to bias, bias towards the position itself, not the candidate. If you bias towards an imagined good feeling towards the future, like an avatar of a person, then that will ensure that you screen out the people that you don't want and you'll be able to get those types of people. And that's on the candidate side to identify them personally, though, when you're going through the process, whether it be a candidate that you're looking at to hire or it's an employee that's doing a task for you, that main red flag is there's tension. You know, there are there's something that's not working. And if it happens multiple times, then you're just confirming it multiple times that there's a a fit issue. Yes, there is a fit issue. And that tension, while we might perceive it as a negative, it's actually a signal. It's a signal saying, all right, stop. Something's not aligning right now with my expectations as the boss and or the uh, the manager and the candidate itself. So let's reevaluate this. It's a fitment issue. And it's something we'll get into uh, on another podcast or at another time is where to move these people. Uh, you know, a mishire doesn't mean immediately fire. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I always tell uh, our, our clients that the candidates that bring on or the new recent hires, they don't come preloaded. We have to teach and train them. Right. And so <laughs> there's too much to kind of cover in this, but there is this onboarding training and being able to work with the person, get to know them. But I think today we kind of covered quite a bit on just being able to like identify mishires before they actually get to that, mm-hmm. that point. Or just identify it yeah. in general. If you're at the very beginning, obviously the best way to avoid a mishire is just not to hire the person that doesn't fit automatically. But if they are on your team, you know it's about modifying what's going on. And that's something we'll cover at another time. For now, let's wrap this one up right here. If you are feeling like you have a mishire with you, Damien and myself, we do this day in, day out. We are talking about this because we see it a lot. 
We're brought in to fix mismatches and modify those tasks to fit the employees better. Or better yet, uh, we come in way at the beginning and just help avoid the mishire altogether. If you'd like more information on the services our consultancy provides, you want to see show notes or hear more podcasts, look us up at experimental-designs.com. I'm Nick. I'm Damien. This has been the EQIQ Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us in the next episode. Do you like what you've heard? Tell your mother. That's so bad. Uh...